through um, second grade. We also have a nursery in the back for, um, for kids up through two, and um, we also have a wiggle and giggle room in the middle, that middle classroom. So three classrooms, all of them used for different children's activities. Um, the last two, both the wiggle and giggle room in the middle and the nursery in the back have um, monitors in them, um, speakers, and so we pump in there um, the, the audio from um, this. And so if you're a parent, we hope to kind of a la carte give you whatever you need um, in raising your kids. And um, we've used all types of stuff, uh, our family growing up, preparing our kids for worship. Um, and so I encourage you to, to take advantage of those things. Um, we're going to be this morning all over the place. Um, also, as I'm looking down, this commends you. A new resource came out just recently. Um, Ligonier Ministries has published the Reformation Study Bible. I'm kind of a, a Bible hymnal um, creed geek. Um, those are the things I just love looking at those new resources, and so um, encourage you to take advantage of that. Got one in there. The ESV Study Bible is great. The Reformation Study Bible is great. There's such great resources for us to grow in our faith. And so, if you're ever wondering, this is where I am. Um, what do I need? What's a good resource for me? Um, I love getting those emails and having those um, those conversations. And so, especially if you're visiting with us, this is going to be a little bit of an odd sermon and an odd sermon series. And so, this is part five of a sermon series um, about the church. And where we are as a church is we're moving towards what I said in the beginning is particularization. And so the way that the PCA typically plants churches is um, a planter will come in, get paired with a core group, um, and they will be given elders, um, seasoned, reliable, faithful men um, who've served in other churches to come alongside that growing church plant and serve in a leadership capacity for that church plant. Um, typically, PCA churches are planted in three to five years. Um, this coming Easter, actually April 11th exactly, but this coming Easter, we're celebrating our five-year anniversary. And usually within that three to five years, a church will particularize. Um, and that just means that we, we have our own men to ordain as local elders. And so that's where we're moving as a congregation. One of the peculiarities of our congregation is that we've specifically tried to reach out to folks who aren't Christians yet, or to folks who um, maybe aren't going to a church or have had a bad experience with a church in the past. And um, that means all of you come either with um, negative baggage or no baggage when it comes to what the church is or should be. And so I've taken these five sermons to say, what is the church? What is this institution called the church? What's it about? Trying to answer as many of your questions as possible. Um, first four were pretty planned out. Um, the fifth one, I've even been talking to people this week, right, saying, okay, what didn't I hit? Um, what did I miss as, as we went our way through? And so I've kind of collected those all together, and I'm, I'm making them into one sermon. And so um, we're going to be jumping around in different passages, answering a few questions. And so the three top questions that I get that you all wanted to hear about was, number one, how do we define church growth? Number two, how much of a turnover should we expect with visitors and um, members in a congregation? What does it mean when people leave the church? Three... What are Joe's plans? Joe, are you a serial planter? Are you just going to come in and leave? Um, do you want to like be here and retire here and grow old here? Is it somewhere in between? Um, what does the Bible say about different ways to plant the church? And so we're going to cover those three sermons. Um, I really hate bouncing around in different passages of the Bible unless it's um, absolutely necessary. And so we're doing that this morning because I want to cover a, different, a few things. Um, we're going to do it for the next two weeks as we dip into the Gospels and look at Palm Sunday um, and Easter Sunday. 
um, rejoicing in Jesus' resurrection. So in four weeks, we're actually going to jump back into the book of Galatians where we have been. My preference as a pastor is just to preach straight through books of the Bible. Um, I've covered probably, not just in this congregation, but others probably, six to seven books of the Bible um, in my uh, close to 12 years of pastoral ministry. Um, when I'm done and get all 66, my plan is just to start over again um, and do a better job than I did the first time through. So um, that's where we're going, and that's what you can expect, especially if you're, um, you're visiting with us um, in terms of the sermons um, coming up. And so why don't I pray for us, and then we'll dive in um, to answering our three questions about the church. Father, we love you. And as we come here to the sermon, to learning from your word and learning what you're doing here in our congregation, we rejoice in your great work. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would strengthen us, that you would love us and care for our church as you have, that this morning would be a chance for us to reflect back on what you've done these past five years, as well as, well as us to rejoice in what you tell us in your word about who you are and what you do. And so we pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're jumping into Acts 2 first. Um, and what I'm going to do in Acts 2 is I'm going to read a section. Um, the, I'm going to read the end of Peter's Pentecost sermon. And I'm read the beginning of what happened there in the early churches, a description of Christian life. Um, the key sentence is the one that's going to be in between. So I'll see if you can listen for it and hear it. It's one that usually gets left out. And so we're trying to answer first is, what is biblical church growth? And so here we do, jump into Acts 2 with, um, with Peter here ending. So, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is Acts and a familiar passage for you. Uh, as you've heard before, Pentecost preached and what it looks for, like for a family, a church family to love each other. And so you have those two sides. Peter's amazing Pentecost sermon, the preaching of the gospel, the call to repent and be baptized, Christian community, loving each other, learning the Bible, praying together, eating each other's homes, selling things because other people had need. But right there in the, in the middle is the description of what church growth is. And that is people who do not know Jesus, do not believe in his name, maybe have never heard the gospel, hear the gospel, place their faith in God, and become Christians. And on that day, 3,000 of them were converted 
came into new life to walk as disciples of Christ. That is how the church grew. And so what we first have to say is that church growth is conversion growth. We unabashedly, as a church, from the beginning said that we want to reach people who are not yet Christians. We want to so structure our church. We want to so preach the gospel. We want to so structure our worship services so that at every point people can engage with our congregation as someone who's not a Christian, maybe never heard about Christianity, hear the gospel and so believe because we believe that conversion growth is the way that churches grow. We do not believe that God has called us to Culpeper to simply shuffle the denominational deck. One of the frustrations that I heard from pastors who have been in Culpeper for a really long time, who I've talked to over the years since I've arrived five years ago, one of their frustrations is there's just this group of people who bounce from church to church to church to church. And for some of those pastors, they've seen them in their church two or three or four times who've come and left and come and left and come and left. I would love to help find Christians, find a church home and stay, but my job and my mission is not to cater to those folks. I hope that folks find a church home, but I wanna see the non-Christians in Culpeper come to faith in Christ. And they are all over the place. There are a ton of people in Culpeper who do not know the gospel, have never heard it. When we first moved to Culpeper, we rented a house on Virginia Avenue, um, and I would run in the mornings, and it would, it would amaze me, running Virginia Avenue and the different sections of that neighborhood, the different dialects and accents that I would hear from people. I would hear English African. So to hear a, a, an African speaking with a rich English accent that is unmistakably from one of the African countries, walking his dog along Virginia Avenue. Like, the nations have come to Culpeper. When you look at a place, um, even like some of the businesses in town where folks work, they've, they've brought in folks, especially from um, India and Holland, to come work. I mean, the nations are here. So if you think that Culpeper is a reached town, you are gravely mistaken. I encourage you simply to walk your neighborhood. Go and walk the streets. I, I almost wish that we could continue to worship in the evenings like we did in the very beginning. I know that doesn't work with like nap schedules and different stuff that goes on. I, I remember those days. Those are hard, like worshiping um, like we did when we worshiped in the library um, at when, 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. But what I loved about it is that we could go out in Culpeper and our family would go to a park. We'd go to Yao Meadow or we'd go to, um, to Mountain Run. And we knew that the people that we were seeing, the people we were talking to, didn't have a church family because they weren't in one on Sunday morning. And so I don't encourage you to skip church, but think on your way forward and back from church in the mornings. Um, look around, there are a ton of people in Culpeper who don't know Christ. I talk to people who have never heard the gospel. I wanna reach those people. And I'm trying to lead us as a congregation into that kind of growth, because I think that's biblical church growth. And so I think about it all the time and how I talk about the worship service and how I think about folks coming in and when we schedule things and the events that we do and how I train our leaders and how I train our community group leaders. At every point I'm thinking, these are the people I'm trying to reach. And the church would be very different if you told me my job was to come in and try and get people from Culpeper Presbyterian and Culpeper Baptist and the Episcopal Church and the Catholic Church. If that was my mission, to try and win people to our better way of Christianity, First of all, I wouldn't come and do that because I don't want to be a part of that, but our church would look drastically different. 
So we have been about from the beginning seeing lost people converted, people who don't know Jesus yet. Um, and that's even more difficult in a town like ours, which is still southernish. It's a very interesting place, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. But I want us to be settled first. What is church growth? Church growth is when people who don't know Jesus meet Jesus. That's church growth. And so, you know, by my numbers, and I'll talk about the kids in a minute, um, we've seen somewhere between five and seven adults meet Christ who didn't know him, who have known him. Now, sometimes there are sneaky conversions, and some of you, I, I'm, I'm suspicious, have been kind of sneaky converted. Um, and that's what happens when folks think they're Christians because they've grown up in Christian families and they can say Christian things. And then somewhere along the way, the light comes on. Um, like, oh, wait, I didn't realize that, wow, God's so gracious and loving. And, and you do what I did when I was converted. I was, I was so embarrassed um, that I had pretended for so long that it's kind of pretended into faith. And I went from actually not believing to believing. I mean, I was attending campaigners, which is like leadership level young life, like a week after I was converted um, because I had just pretended of being a Christian for so long. And so I have the suspicion um, that some of you have been sneaky converted, um, but we won't miss words. I'm just glad that you're here and, um, and growing in grace um, in our congregation. And so that's what we expect. We want to see people grow up to meet Jesus, um, to come to faith in Christ, and we are after lost people unabashedly. Um, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're going to have revival, and I would love to meet more people. And the Lord does what he wants. It's not like all of a sudden we hand out food at Yal Meadow and throw a big concert and God is obligated to save 100 people just because we did that. He will save people when he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to, and none of numbers. Um, but I want to give myself and be spent in Culpeper trying to get after people who have never heard the gospel. Um, I love them and I want them here. And so I'll say often, I am planting a church. We are planting a church for folks who aren't here yet. Um, we are after those folks. But if God gave us a different mission, we would do church differently. Um, and so that is church growth. Now, the second way of, um, that people grow um, within this conversion is when um, kids are converted. And one of the things that we long to see um, is our own children grow up to profess faith. And so here's in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is before Moses dies, and this is Deuteronomy 6. And um, what Moses is giving some instruction on um, is what to do when your children grow up to be curious about the faith, which we hope all of our kids do means what we're doing as parents. And one of the most terrifying things as parents is that we can't obligate God to save our kids either. It's not like we can parent well enough, give them the right books, make them memorize the right catechisms, take them to church, make them go to youth events, and God's like, all right, hit your quota, saving your kid. That doesn't happen. He saves our children when and where and how he wants to. And so we come just wanting him to bless our kids with salvation. And so in Deuteronomy 6, 20, you hear Moses talking about that. And I'll, I'll read to you starting, like I said, verse 20. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you'll say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And so in that passage, there's amazing ex expectation that um, these Israelite children, and we might say in the New Testament, Christian children are going to grow up to say, what gives? What, what's up with this whole gospel Christianity thing that our, our family believes in? And you see Moses saying now, when your kids ask that question, you have the chance as a parent to share the gospel with them. 
It's the gospel in the Old Testament before the coming of Christ. But you hear what he said. He said, listen, God came. He came to us in a nation and he chose us not because we were great and mighty. He just decided to love us and bless us. And he brought us out of exile, not just the exile of Egypt, but the exile of sin, we would say, through Christ. And he's brought us into the promised land and that promised land foretold the Christ who would come. And so Moses says, expect the day that your children will ask you, what about the gospel? What about the faith? And you have the opportunity of evangelizing your children. And we hope and we pray and we weep and we cry out to God, Lord God, convert our kids. And we expect and look for God to bless in amazing ways. And so we want to see conversion growth, not just in adults coming to faith by being baptized. We want to see conversion growth by seeing our, our baptized kids grow up to profess faith and take communion for the first time. We long for that. And with all the resources we can, we try to serve families the best that we can. We long to see that. So that's conversion growth as well. And I haven't counted how many kids have come into community membership here in our congregation, but it's a lot. And so, so far, by conversion growth, we've seen people come to faith. So I think on the first day it was 20. I'm going to guess we're probably eyeballing it 83 this morning. We've, we've not grown by 63 people. My guess is we've grown by about 15. That may sound, that may sound discouraging to you. That is 15 people who are new souls who've been brought into the kingdom of God, who were not Christians at one point and have now come to believe in Jesus. And that's what I want to live and die working for. That's what I want our church to be a part of. That's it. That's what church growth is. Secondly, within this topic of church growth, and lastly on, um, on this topic, now turn to the end of 2 Peter if you're following along in um, in your Bibles, Peter says something pretty interesting at the end of his second epistle. And he says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so you, you might say, well, okay, I'm, I was a Christian in another church. Maybe you grew up and became a Christian as a kid and confessed faith when you were older. Or maybe you came in as an adult and you professed faith. You've been a part of other churches. Well, is that the only thing we call growth? And the answer is no. We also call growth, growth in grace. And Peter is summarizing his book. It means that what we are doing in our Christian lives is we're growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and how he brought us to salvation in Christ. Isn't that we got converted one day, okay, I'm done, I just get to work um, evangelizing. You do that, but I want our congregation to grow in our understanding of God's forgiveness. And part of the reason that we do that is because we just continue to sin. So unless you've stopped sinning, um, I, which if you think you have, come and talk to me afterwards. If, if you were that perfect person, would love and talk to you. No, last time I sinned was a few years ago and just been great from then on. If that's you, we need to straighten some stuff out. If it's not then every day you have a reason to grow in the grace of Jesus. Not to pull yourself up by your own legalistic bootstraps, not to say I'll get it right one day, or to fall in some kind of depressive self-pity. Life's never going to be good and it's just going to be suffering. It will be suffering. But to revel daily in the fact that I am loved and forgiven by Jesus. And to allow that grace not just to be out there, but to transform your life. And so I look out over you. The folks who are here, y'all have grown in grace. It is a privilege to be your pastor. 
to know the things that I know about you and your families. Sometimes I think about like when y'all, and I, I have a pretty good memory, so when I think y'all first came to the church and your different families and your stories since then, what God's done, and again, I, I don't share your stories. Um, I kind of wish I could. I could say, hey, if you only knew about this family, if you only knew about him, I'm not random, I'm just randomly pointing. So if you just knew what God's done in people's lives, it is an amazing story of what God has done here. And that's not me. That's not your community group leaders. That's not because we're PCA or Acts 29 and we're reformed. That's because God has showed up in our midst and he has grown us in grace. I look at you and you're not a people who are bored with the gospel. You're not a people who've just been plodding along for a few years or a few months as you've been here. I can see the stories and I've heard the stories of grace in your life. And that is church growth. And so what I long for for our congregation is that kids and adults would come to faith in Christ and that our testimony as a body would say, we understand God's grace more than we did a week ago, more than we did a month ago, more than we did a year ago. And so the question, is Christ's covenant growing? Absolutely. At least according to the Bible and the Bible's definition are we just blowing out the seams at 800 and having to find new spots? No, of course not. Will the Lord do that? I have no idea. I'm terrified that he might. And I'm also terrified that he won't. But it all happens in his own timing and what he does. And you just never know what happens if you're doing strict numbers. Um, my buddy Chris Atwell, who's a pastor of Portico in, um, in Charlottesville, um, one of our, our supporting churches, um, he's been a, a dear friend of men, mine. Um, their church was meeting in a school, and I think they're at like 800 now. Um, and how their church grew is that he got um, oral cancer. Um, it was just, you know, they're meeting a school gym and he got cancer and was just completely put out, couldn't preach, couldn't do anything, chemo, radiation, surgery. Um, behold, it to this day, he has a lisp because parts of his tongue have had to be removed because of cancer. And so one of his assistants who'd never preached kind of picked up some of the slack. Um, he came back to the church and um, it was 400 people more than when he had left. He doesn't know why. It was just God. God just blessed his church. So he says, you, my, my church growth scheme was getting oral cancer. Like that's, that's, that's what happened and God just blessed us. Um, and through suffering, he learned more about the Lord and who the Lord was and the Lord's grace. And so I'm thrilled to be a part of Christ's covenant. I'm thrilled to tell our story of what God's done um, here in our midst. I'm thrilled that you're a part of it um, and that we get to see people come to faith and we get to grow um, in grace. And so the first question, what is church growth? Um, just answered. Second question, um, what about people who leave? And it's been kind of odd for folks um, to be a part of a church plant, because um, for some of you, this is your first experience um, in a church plant. Um, and church plants, especially church plants like ours, typically have a high turnover um, for a lot of different reasons. And so I get the question a lot, um, and uh, I think I'd answer it in a sermon, just um, kind of going forward. What, what should we expect? And so I have a few reasons why folks leave church plants. Um, first one, they move. They just go to a different spot. Um, and we've had send-offs for folks who simply just moved and moved to um, a different area. Um, especially um, people who have vocations, um, national vocations. And so if you are a part of a corporation that has um, a national or even a worldwide presence, um, a lot of times you don't stay in Culpeper very long because Culpeper is really not the hub of anything. Um, so if you get good at your job, your job moves you. Um, and so a lot of times people just move out. And I know people um, who are in our church who've said, I've had opportunities um, to move up my corporate ladder and I've chosen to stay 
because I love Culpeper and I want to be a part of Christ's covenant. Um, and that's amazing. And so people, people move. Um, second thing, people have theological differences. Um, and that's great. One of the beautiful things about um, the Christianity is that we do have differences. We are able to disagree. We can come to a passage that isn't absolutely clear. And some people can say, yeah, I think you should get babies wet. And other people say, no, I don't think you should. And we can love each other and not say that the other people aren't Christians. And we could say, maybe you do better in a Baptist church. Some people could say, hey, I'm really big about robes and candles and red carpet and hardwood um, and stand up, sit down, red book, blue book. And I say, well, listen, maybe you'd do well in Episcopalian church. That sounds like that's right up your alley. Some people come in and say, listen, I'm Presbyterian. Um, I've read your, your, um, your welcome book and what you believe about theology. I love what you do. Great. I think this is a good spot for you. Um, and so we have theological differences. And one of the beauties of um, the Christian family in Culpeper and beyond is that we can express those differences. And there are some great churches that people can go if they have theological differences. And folks have come in and have said, huh, I disagree about that. I'm not sure I can stay. Okay, let's find us. I'll help you. I know some folks. We can, we can talk through that issue. Um, and we can find you a spot where you fit. So um, that's one reason why folks sometimes move over. Third, um, sin and church discipline. Um, all of us are sinners. Um, some of us are better at hiding it than others. And sometimes sin mounts to the level that you're going to need other people to take care of you. And so when we have church membership, the last question is, do you submit yourself um, to the government and discipline of the church? Which means, I want these elders to pastor me because I know there might come a time where I am so blinded by sin that I need somebody to come and say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. You are running away from the Lord please listen to me, repent, let's work on restoring stuff. That happens um, in churches. And that's one of the beauties of church membership because um, as Robert Murray McShane said, the seed of every sin is in every person's heart and is only by God's grace that doesn't break out. All of you are capable of every kind of sin. And there will be times in your life you'll also be so blinded. You need a pastor or a brother and sister in Christ to come and say, hey, I love you. You are not seeing this, and I am so worried about you. Um, typically, when that happens, um, it doesn't go as well as pastors would hope. But one of the things that pastors and friends want is to be able to be bold enough to tell people, I love you. Let me come alongside and help you. And sometimes people will say, wow, I, 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 wanna, I, I see that. I want to repent. I want to work. Some people say, I can't believe you're saying that to me but I want us to be a church that we love each other so well that when we see something wrong in someone's life, we can say, I love you. I am so worried about you. Please repent. Please be um, restored. Um, I had a buddy who was um, angry at, um, at one of his committees, and he, he relayed this story. And, um, and um, he said, you know, I was out at dinner with my wife, and um, we were eating hot dogs. Um, and at one point, my wife looked over at me and said, hey, you have mustard on your face. Um, and he said, I was so appreciative of, she would say, I have mustard um, on my face. She is very valuable to me as a person. I love her because she's willing to tell me things about myself that I don't see, that other people see, that need to be corrected. I want us to be a congregation where we can tell each other, you have mustard on your face. I love you. Um, repent and be restored. Um, a lot of times, some people don't respond well to that conversation. You maybe think of friends in your life, and they leave the church. And we weep, and we're so sad, but it happens sometimes. But I want us to be a church where our relationships are so strong, we can have those conversations, and we're willing to have those kind of um, bold statements out of love towards people. So um, that's one of them. Another one is that people have unresolved issues from prior churches. 
um, that they just repeat over and over and over again. Um, I had an older pastor tell me once, instead of somebody comes into your church and the first thing they talk to you about is how bad their former church was, um, just wait a few months because they're just saying about you too. Um, and so it, it happens. Um, and, and honestly, it's something that all of us have. We all think back on churches. And part of the reason you're a part of Christ's covenant is you thought, wow, I did not like how my former church did that. And I want to do something um, different. The problem is people rarely are enough to look at what did I, how was I involved in that? What do I need to own about how I left that church? And so if you've been in the church long enough, you'll see people just repeat over and over and over again, over again the same kind of come in and leave, because a lot of times um, they just simply haven't processed prior hurts. And so if, and this is a conversation I have a lot, so somebody will come to me and say, listen, I'm really squeamish about church leadership, um, and the PCA has a pretty specific structured leadership. Um, talk to me about that. And I'll say, listen, we'd love to talk to you about that. You have a, a, a painful event in your, in your past. Let me tell you how we do things, um, how, where our strengths are and here, how our weaknesses are. And so it's one of the things that, um, that we see. Um, sixth of seven. There we go. Um, there are non-Christians who aren't converted um, who come into our church. And I love that. I think I've always been able to look out over our congregation and see folks who aren't Christians yet. And I love that. And if you're not a Christian, so glad you're here. Really glad that you're here. And I want even more um, people who are not Christians to attend our worship. Um, but eventually, I hope that Christianity will offend you. I hope that Christianity will offend you enough to take stock of where you are with Christ um, and what you need to do with the Lord and what the Lord says about your life and the free invitation of the gospel he lays out to you. But at times, folks who aren't Christians will come in, will consider, and then decide Christianity is not for them and leave. And maybe they'll come back in a month from now or something else, and that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm much rather somebody come in and consider Christianity and say it's not for me um, than to think there are Christians or kind of play around with some mild version that really isn't it. And so that happens sometimes. We've had um, people I'm still friends with come in, try, and leave and just decide Christianity um, wasn't for them. Um, lastly, um, there is people who don't agree with the vision of our church, which I've already talked about. And again, that's fine. Um, if you come in and say, I wish it was different. I wish we were just one little family. We don't need to do outreach. You know, I, I, I wish it was this way or that way. That, that's a fine opinion to have, and it's not bad. But I've already said, this is our vision of our elders, and this is the direction we're going in. And so if you don't have our vision, you can be a part of the church, but you're probably going to be very happy here. And I would love to find a church that suits you where, where you are. And so some people leave simply because they don't agree with the vision of the church. If you think of it as kind of like an ocean liner, um, of back in those days, maybe a, a cruise ship um, of what you might have. And you have people who, who get the vision or don't, and people who are willing to work uh, or don't. If people understand the vision and are willing to work in the local church, we call them crew members. You know, they're, they're on board, they get the vision, they're, they're working hard. If people get the vision and they're not to a place yet where they don't work, we call them passengers. Glad to be there not ready to do anything um, for the function of um, the ship. If there's someone who doesn't, get, um, who, who, is, who doesn't get the vision and isn't willing to work, we call them stowaways. They don't agree with the vision and they're not gonna work, they're hiding out in a ship somewhere. Just it's, you know, canvas covered, they don't agree with, they don't wanna do anything and they don't agree with the vision. Um, if someone doesn't agree with the vision and wants to work, we call them pirates. And so, you know, they, they don't agree with the vision and they really want to get involved and do stuff. 
Um, and so one of the things that we talk about leadership is it's not just, you know, are you a Christian and you want to work, but do you agree with, with the vision that God's called us to? Because um, that, that's a big deal. Um, and we'd love to find you where you can work and agree with the vision of the church. And folks have left over that too. Um, and so we, when you look at these kind of things, um, we're a new church. We encourage people to come try it out. We're trying to reach non-Christians, folks that have been burned by the church in the past. We do have a clear vision. We do have a clear theology. We are a part of a church planning network. We are a part of a denomination. There's a lot of things that could turn someone off. And we would still love for them to come and try and get to know you and love you. And if you go somewhere else, still love you. But I expect for our church that we will have a decent rate of turnover, not because something's wrong, but because we're actually doing things right. Um, and so that, that's what I see for our church. If we're gonna do these things that we've mentioned, love people well, lead on vision, preach the gospel, have non-Christians in, try and reach people who've had bad experiences in the past, either God's gonna show up or a lot of times those things are gonna end badly. And we're okay being there. Like, I want to pray such big prayers and enter into such relationships um, that either it's going to crash and burn or God's going to do something glorious. Like, I, I love being in positions like that. Like, I want to see all of Culpeper converted where it, like, crashes and burns. Like, I, I'm ready to go. I don't want to settle. If you ever find me settling, um, I hope you find a different pastor because um, I don't want to pastor a church um, where I've just settled. Um, we're going to be just a great bunch of people and I'm going to be your chaplain until we all die off. Um, I don't want to do that. There are churches like that. I don't want to do that. Um, so that's what happens. What about people leaving? Sometimes it happens. And I do hope we swell to 800. I hope we plant three 800-person churches. I hope we lead a, lead a revival. And I hope everybody finds Christ's covenant to be a welcoming home. It isn't always the way it happens. Um, so a smattering. There might be other reasons, but that's um, a part of it. So lastly, what about Joe in terms of my intentions for Christ's covenant and the kind of planting? There are actually different planters in the Bible. And so you see the Apostle Paul, serial planter, who go different spots, stay for a week, a few months, see folks converted, see a few maybe leaders, say, y'all go get it, I'm leaving, and going on to the next spot. And you see Paul do that throughout um, the book of Acts. You see him writing back, and some of the letters that we have are him writing back to churches that that had happened to. Um, that's not me. Um, it's not like I've got, some guys are like, I think I have about five church plants in me, and then I'll be done. Um, this has been really hard. I'm not sure I ever want a church plan again. Um, if the Lord gives me an amazing amount of strength and just shows me that's it. But right now, I, I don't see any desire to do that. Second person um, in the Bible is a Peter. Peter shows up on the scene as one of Jesus' um, disciples. He hunkers down in Jerusalem, sees people converted, raises up leadership, um, starts the church from scratch, and um, sticks around with his wife. And, um, and they lead a great revival throughout Jerusalem. Um, that wasn't how I planted here, um, but that's closer to how I see my gifting. Third person is Timothy. Um, what happened with Timothy is that apparently a bunch of people had invested in Ephesus and a church was started. Paul was there, Apollos was there, Priscilla was there, Aquila was there, um, and Paul thought, wow, I need to put a pastor there. Um, and so he chose his, his church planning intern, Timothy, and sent Timothy to Ephesus. And so if you read First and Second Timothy, it's Paul writing to Timothy as a church planter that had joined some people who were there who were Christians to see a church established there in Ephesus um, and to see that church grow. Um, and that's been my own story here. I was brought into Culpeper when there were some families here who had asked Presbytery, hey, we want to start a church. Can you find us a planter? I was looking for a place to plant. And so I came in to do that. Um, and it's been five years since, and it has been a wild ride, and we have seen the Lord do so much. 
Uh, and we have suffered in ways we never expected, and God has been so gracious in ways that we never expected. But I love y'all, and I love pastoring here in, um, in Culpeper. I love this church. I want to be here until I die. Um, I have no intentions of leaving next year or, or anything um, like that. The Lord changes our plans um, a lot of times, um, but I love you, and I want to spend and be spent um, loving you and trying to reach lost people in Culpeper with you. And so um, I'd, I'd love to have you all join um, that mission if you're looking, at, looking and interested in, um, in Christ's covenant. It's a little bit of vision, a little bit of um, biblical instruction on conversion, a little bit what to expect in terms of turnover, and those were kind of the summary points um, that questions I had over the course of the week, things people have asked me. So Lord's doing an amazing thing here at Christ's covenant. We're growing. We're seeing people met with Jesus. I'm excited about being your pastor. Um, I'm excited about, you know, leading most of you. Most of you are excited about leading, um, having me lead you. And um, I think it's going to be a, a, a great wild ride moving forward. And, um, and so if you have any questions about Christ's covenant, um, either you're a longtime member, considering membership, or this is your first Sunday, I love answering um, those questions. I think this is a really, really exciting time for us. And I'm going to look for opportunities to tell more of our story um, in the coming weeks and months as we move um, towards particularization. Um, if you're not a Christian and you are interested in this gospel of becoming a part of a movement like this, of meeting Jesus and knowing your sins can be forgiven and you made right with your Father in heaven to be filled with um, the Holy Spirit to replace the emptiness you feel so much in your life, I'd love to talk to you about how you can not only meet Christ but join um, our church family. And so I'm going to pray for us and, um, and then we'll go to um, the Lord's Supper. I want to take a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for what you've done in our life, and we pray, Lord, for our church that you would